Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Paper Podcast. Today we're looking ahead to round three of the 2024 Six Nations and it is Calcutta Cup Week. Joining myself and the columnist today to preview that match as well as Ireland, Wales and France, Italy is former Scotland captain Brian Redpath. It's Calcutta Cup weekend. We are three days out. And if our predictions for this weekend are anything to go by, it's an easy weekend to call. For the first time ever in the history of the Predictions League, all five of us have predicted the three same winners for the weekend. Um, The five of us being myself, Chris Hewitt, Brendan Gallagher, Nick Kane, and today's special guest, former Scotland captain Brian Redpath. How are you, Brian? Yeah, not really good. Um, And yeah, it's interesting that we've all gone for home wins as well. So... um... Yeah, and no, I'm looking forward to it massively. Obviously, massive challenge for everyone. And I think over the you know the first couple of games, I think Ireland are, are the the clear front runners by quite a distance. I think if you look at the performances, so this weekend's going to be a big one. If I'm being honest, just because people need to need to hunt them down and and get consistently. You know, we, we've not done that, and they've they've come back at the World Cup flying. Is this the most confident you've ever been of a Scotland win against England in the Six Nations? No, not at all. Because I, I don't think Scotland. Have, I don't think Scotland have played that well. Um, yeah. If you look back to games like a World Cup and the big challenges, Ireland and South Africa, we didn't necessarily play for eighty minutes again in these games. First half against Ireland, and then second half against South Africa, and we've kind of carried that on. Second halves, both games, not being consistent. So, I think England with a a new regime a little bit has probably put me on a little bit a little bit more tense than I would like to have been, I think. Um I still think if they play to their best, they'll win the game. I bet we're gonna to have to do that for 65 minutes rather than 50 minutes. While we've got you here, it's slightly old news now, but I I've got to ask you about the events of 10 days ago and hear your thoughts on it. Um, the obvious, the refereeing decision at the end. Um, were you at Murrayfield or were yeah. you watching at home? And yeah, yeah, what? no, I, I was there obviously with Cam's involvement. Um, yeah. gutted for him, he only got four minutes, but that's international sport. And I thought I, I was more disappointed with the second half, kind of where things just slipped away for us, and we a little bit fell into this kicking duel. and Leaving France within four to five points of you is a really dangerous thing when they have some individuals that can rock up and it could be a seven-point swing very quickly. And I felt we were just we just kind of sat on the game a little bit too long. And I always feel that you play France, you have to get a 10-point margin. You have to get there. Ramos is too good a kicker not to take a, a three, a five, like kicker conversion and then a penalty. And before you know it, you're four points behind. And that's ultimately what happened. And I felt we fell into that trap. And I've not necessarily discussed it with Cam because I didn't want to. Um, but I feel second half performance wasn't good enough. And we can hang on the last decision. Yes, we can. But for the other 35 minutes in the game, we need to be a far more attacking, fluent, possessional-based team that puts pressure on France. I felt we didn't do that. I don't think we put enough pressure on them in the game to take us away from them. And I felt that French team, who are, I believe, still a little bit low in confidence and met up with Galtier and Patrick Arletaz on Friday. And Patrick has just come in from the World Cup as the attack coach and he feels there's still a hangover there. And I felt when you watch that game and you watch it back, I definitely think there was a hangover that could have been our best chance to put in a real performance in against France. 
Do do you do you um do you think, Brian? I, I I don't want to put you in any kind of invidious position, but the two the two games Scotland have played so far, um, there have been glimpses of of, of terrific stuff, the kind of stuff that Scotland can play. The two second halves have gone sort of a, a little bit breast up, to put it politely, um, and ended and ended in in a, a a tight win, which was which was far tighter than it should have been, and a very narrow defeat, which could have gone either way. Um, so much is said about Finn Russell, and he's a wonderful player. That, you know, I mean, I don't think anyone would would even begin to dispute it. But when it comes to sort of game management, um, when you when you're twenty seven nil up, there's yeah. a lot of fly halves who would have said, "Whatever happens in this next forty minutes, it ain't going to end twenty seven twenty six because yeah. as soon as it gets to twenty seven ten, we're going to be down there. Oh. Stay there. Is is there any is there any kind of sense that Finn is too extravagant for his own good at times? Um. If, if, if we're using the Welsh game as a, an example and what what's happened, I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't blame Finn for that game. You know, with two yellow cards, we had about eight penalties in in a row, which led to two yellows, which ultimately changed the dynamics of the game. There was a couple of missed tackles that one off a kickoff on Wainwright that being in the stadium in Cardiff, as we all know, isn't easy to win there because we haven't won in that stadium since I've bloody played. So that is a long time. Um, but I, I, I think that there needs to be more. There needs to be more around him when things aren't necessarily functioning as free-flowing as what Finn can uh, be. I don't think it's tactically he's improved over the last three seasons. Yeah. He has tactically. He's kicked better in the Six Nations than he has done all season for Bath. But there has to be other people stepping up personally. And that may be the set-piece stepping up. That may be the centres or the outside backs taking some pressure off him and allowing him to maybe wait for his opportunity. But if we're not disciplined and you're playing away from home and a young team that comes on in that second half, there's nothing to lose. And, and I, I remember chatting after the game and we just needed one time to just put a foot in the ball, maybe take a three-pointer. Not worry about the bonus point. Take a three because it takes a minute out of the game it stops this Welsh crowd getting another lift. And we never done that the whole 35 minutes to the last sort of five minutes where we kept the ball for 15 phases. We never yeah. done that in the past. We ended up trying a pass or an offload or a kick through or we tried everything, but we never actually said, well, let's control the game. So that does lie with Finn. Of course it does. But I do believe at this at that level, we need others that are going to do that. And that, as I say, that may be a bat rower, it may be a front five player just says, now nah, we're going to stick up a jumper and we're going to maul for three penalties in a row. That has to come along the way. And France was a bit similar. He kind of fell into this kicking duel. Now that's that's come into the game. That's because we now don't have to be put on side. But unless he moves, the game can stay in this stalemate. Now, don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy that part of the game, if I'm being honest. And I don't want Scotland. I don't want to go and watch a game like that. Not just Scotland, but whether that's any club game, it's just not for me. I just think we we scored some great tries off kick return over the last two or three seasons. It is like a restart. It is like a set piece play. So let's get that back in our game. Let's have a real crack at someone that wants to kick to us. It was like back in the day. Don't kick to Jason Robinson long. Why? Because you'll catch it, and you know that the wee man's flying at you. You kick high. You're different. You get a man and ball, you take them out of the game. And that's where I, I think if they're going to kick long to us, which 
France is so different. They didn't have attack either. It's not like them. So we're stuck in this stalemate. So I don't think Finn's the the, the problem. No. He has some tendency. I mean, my my, my one criticism of him, and I think exactly as Brian says, um, it's not down to him basically, but I did expect him to come up with some little tactical twist on that kicking stalemate. Because yeah. he, he was, you know, it was him and whoever it was, Ramos. And Ramos, He yeah. was there receiving. I thought, okay, he'll do it once, but he'll organise something. He'll, he'll have something up his sleeve the second time, and he didn't. Yeah. So that, that was my one disappointment with think, the that, two matches. Yeah, look, I think what, what's highlighted in these two games are this coming into the game is, well, you've got the catch at one pass crossfield, you've got the take it up, chip kick, you've got two, three phases to play, get to the halfway line. Where is your where is your barrier that you want to say is, get to the halfway, we're in our attacking shape. We'll go 15 phases, put a grubber in if we're getting nothing else. We'll go up a touchline or make a kick contest. So... I think we needed that game to clear it out. We're going to find out on Saturday who wants to play that game. And if it is, yeah. I don't think Scotland will come out on top if we play that game. I think if we come out in a mindset for 40 minutes and then we reassess, but 40 minutes is right. We're going at England. We're going at France. We're going at Wales. Let's go at them. Let's. We've got great backs. We've got great back rowers. We've got a mobile team. Let's just win and lose by that mentality rather than maybe over-tactically thinking. Just on the uh, the yeah. subject of the back row, uh, Brian, is it? Um, I mean, there's been quite a lot of movement in it because of injury and so on and so forth. Is is the back row quite as potent as you feel that it has been, or quite as uh, as uh, as as lively, really, as it has been um, okay. uh, previously? If you think back to some of the best Six Nations games Scotland have had over the last few years, you've got like uh, a Hamish Watson was in there. Uh, for his ball carrying and his jackling. Uh, Dempsey was it? Uh, Dempsey and Ferguson were the eights, really. And then you had Jamie Ritchie. Now, obviously, young Darju's come in and kind of taken the mantle of, of Hamish. Hamish back in the squad, obviously, to train this week. Um, and Dempsey's come in at eight. Again, a different player. But mm. again, Dempsey's a carrier. Ferguson's a carrier. So kick returns a classic opportunity catch, get them in the game, get them smashing up the midfield, open up both sides. We've maybe again, I think if we've if we've got too technical or tactical, are we taking away one of our biggest strengths? I agree, I think we are. And I think we need to get them in the game and we need to have carriers. Darji carries, Hamish carries, both eights carry. Well, great, let's get them in the game. Let's make them an asset. The middle five is always an asset for Scotland, back row and half backs. Make big decisions, carrying or playing or where to play. We still have to have that dominance. If we don't get them in the game, we have to look at why, and we need to then change and say, get them in the game. Five man line out, six man line out. Get them carrying, kick return, um, scrums. Get them off the base of the scrum. Get them in the game. So, have we lost it? We probably have, but again, rugby can fall into that trap because we get too smart for our own good. We're all the same. We always try to outthink each other and we're trying to flip this coin to who's better, who's not. Get back to what we're good at. And if we're good at it, we'll win more than we'll lose. And I think that's what I would like to see. But that's, we're all old school in here, most of us, you know what I mean? And that's difference and pensions <laughs> are coming, you know. <laughs> Is it easy, Brian, to replace? Um, uh, I, I understand the back row selection to take up Nick. Nick Next point. Um, I mean, it does look as though Darge is getting at 
right back up to where he would have been pre-injury. Uh, I mean, he's clearly a player of tremendous potential. I mean, there may not be many of them around every generation, really. He's, he's He looks a very good player. And we understand Dempsey might be. But Jamie Ritchie brought so much just in terms of raw energy, just just sort of elbows and knees and being there all the time. He was, uh, I think back to John Jeffrey back in the day. There was just, just this just this fabulous energy provision about him. That's not easy to replace. I mean, I understand that he's he's out of form and he, you know, things have gone flat, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not easy to replace that, is it? No, to, to be that again, defensively, that's the difference. He's that defensive nose, kind of annoying, always in the picture, always making the decisions, making every ruck a contest. Yeah. Whereas a Darge and a Hamish have to be selective. Mm. Whereas, Jamie, that's quite difficult to stay in that level of player for long periods. Yeah. And whether he's not been able to do that through little niggles, little injuries, which he's probably carried pre-World Cup and now for Edinburgh. And the game sometimes gets cleaned up a little bit, so you can't be that little bit on the edge, on the borderline. And Jamie may be falling into that trap a little bit, thinking, well, what, can I just be a line-out option? Because he's not necessarily the biggest and most powerful guy no. compared to what we have. But he's certainly got a part to play. And I think Gregor's maybe highlighted that to him. And hopefully club form and being his best is always an asset to Scotland because that part of the game, you know, in a strange way, a Courtney loss kind of mm. can just be there and a bit of a nuisance. Now, we can pick these most powerful, great specimens, but ultimately we still need that niggly on the edge player and sometimes captaincy takes that away mm. it does because you mm. you're if you're the captain that's playing on that edge and making errors and making stupid well like over pressure decisions and the team's suffering then ultimately what do you do you take the captain out you take the player away you take away the that authority so back row is a massive thing for us and it will be on Saturday it'll be huge on Saturday because that's always been a point whereas a, a Hamish a Jamie has Got people, I mean, people have, have you know, Frenchies have smacked him before and got sent off, and, and he stood there and he's taken it and he's not reacted and he's not then fallen into the trap. So yeah. that, that has to be an element. The Scottish and Irish have been great at it for years, winding people up, getting them to make stupid decisions. Bang, there you go. We've done it with Danny Grucott back in the day. <laughs> Scott Murray used to wind him up, wind him up, Danny, elbow in the chop, yellow card, six points, bang, we win the game, 18 12. Cheers, Danny. Thanks very much. Yeah, it was that, quite difficult to wind up a horizontal pacifist like Grucott, wasn't it? It was, um, yeah. You know, I mean, exactly. that, that's... he could hear me <laughs> chirping away at him and nipping him in the back of his calves. He was like, "That, what's that? So that's that wee red pal. <laughs> yeah, and he's yeah. A, he's a good bloke, Grucott. You know, he's a lovely bloke. Yeah, I um, love the man. He, he teaches him. locally to me, and he's yeah, yeah. nice man. But oh, again, he is, he is a nice man. Yeah, and I think the big part of that is is, is you've highlighted it that you need different characters in your team. We cannot all yeah. be the same. Mm. Um, every team needs to be made up of people that have a strength that in certain stages of the game we need to rely on him at this stage of the game we need to rely on him and let that be the case not necessarily model us all the same because we'll get the same result all the time do, do you think the, do you think the captaincy put Richie in his shell because you know, just watching on TV he wasn't a genius when it came to relations with referees um uh, there, there was just a bit of a... And some guys have this kind of... Borthwick had the same thing, actually. 
it was it, it, they, they weren't being impolite or over aggressive or anything like that. They, they weren't all like Owen Farrell, but there was just a sort of body language about uh, about about Jamie that just didn't seem to yeah. fit with referee discussions, which he had to have as a captain. Yeah, and I, I I know it from my own days. You know, twenty six times I captained Scotland, and you have to have that. You have to have a little bit of chirpiness. You have to have that little bit of test in the water, but you also have to, you know, sometimes get back in your box, which I was told to quite a lot. But, you know, like that's the bit that you've got to understand when we, man, well, you shut up. I didn't buy a, a ref mic to listen to you niggling away at the ref all day. So I, I suddenly understood that. But you have to be able to energise the situation or diffuse it or create a little bit of confusion because the ref, the ref's there to manage the game and, and I'm going to manage as much of him as I can. Mm. But also never disrespect him to that level. So you've got to have this little bit of dynamic in there. Um, but again, it's it, the game is far more analytical now. You look at the pressure referees, the analysis, that how you speak to him, everything is recorded. You can't get away with the little slap on the ref's backside saying, well, great decision, that ref, or that was terrible. You know what I mean? Like You can't really get away with the banter anymore. So mm-hmm. I think the, the captain relationship, you know, Warburton talks about a lot. John, John Barkley talks about it a lot. Owen Farrell managed it and, and Dylan Hartley and all these different characters. You look at Sexton's character, how he does it. Oh, Manny's the character, how he does it. You know, so that side, the referee, for argument's sake, which ref is it? What are you going to get that ref? I was going to say, and which captain is it? Because um, mm-hmm. uh, last, last game, Scotland had two. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I'm quite interested in this co-captain stuff. I mean, do you like it? No, I mean, I, I, if I go back to coaching days, I remember I was at Gloucester, we had Tyndall and Delve, but whoever was named on the team sheet was captain and the other was vice-captain. But in the day-to-day, when one was away playing for Wales or one was not in international stuff, I knew I had someone. And I only done it just because of a, there's so much influence on the forwards and the backs. Mm. But I'd pick my captain on the day. If I felt someone was struggling and it's needed me, mate, Tins, you just need to carry ball and smash people. I'm going to make Delvey cap today. So you just focus on that. Delvey, I need you to do that today. Tins has got to do it. But international level, when there's 10 games, it needs to be clear to the officials who's making who, the decision. Who? Yeah. Like I'm sure it yeah. is, because I think it's been. What Darji does is, is maybe leads by example in a different way or maybe says to Finn, Look, friend, we need to tidy up this a little bit. I'm not sure. And again, it's a really difficult one for me because I don't want to go and knock on Cam's doorstep and go, Cam, go tell me the insights because that's really unfair on him. And I don't say the same to Gregor, you know what I mean? So I, I tend to, I'm now a proper dad rather than sitting back and knock them and telling <laughs> Cam that you're good or you're shite or you're rubbish, Cam, that's crap. Or, well done, Cam. I can't really say to Gregor, Gregor, what's going on? Mm. That's, that's, I do, rem- I do remember when Bath made the aforementioned Danny Grucock captain after years of Borthwick. And he said, my captaincy duties extended to running out with the mascot and then <laughs> saying, Borthers, over to you. Because he could read a game in or a dynamic in a game yes. in a nanosecond. He said it would take me a fortnight. He said it was simply no point me trying to lead the side in a reactive way to what was happening on the field when the bloke next to me is brilliant at it. Yeah, and who's the greatest England captain that we've seen in our era? Jono. Mm. But he had some leaders around him, whether it's Doss or a, or a Johnny, you know, 
a Richard Hilario. Yeah. So, like, there's people around there. Captain needs to be a figure that can hold authority within whatever room it is. I couldn't because I was a short ass, so it's different for me. But I could hold the room in a different way. I would, I would, mm. I would, I would, you know, get to what I needed to get to and rely on other players to make decisions. Mm. And that was a great having a Tom Smith that was so quiet that when Tommy wanted to say something, it was like, oh, maybe it must be kind of important because Tom's chipped up and said something, you know. And whether that was him saying that, you're like, Jesus, never says anything. But then when he does, everyone's like. Yeah, I think I'll listen to Tom on that one. Um, so that you have to have the different dynamics, and and is it working? Well, we'll probably know better on Saturday because that conversation will get brought up again. Who is the captain? I was doing that corporate stuff last weekend, the France game, and it was brought up by ex-players. Going, I don't want to see two people stood next to the referee saying, "I'm kicking it goal. I'm not kicking it goal." Should yeah. we kick it goal prior to half time? Yes. Yeah. That's the decision that should have been made. Now, I believe as a coach, you can make that because the minute the tee crosses a line, we have to kick a goal. So I'd be going, get the bloody tee on, kick the goal. Get back up there and kick another goal because they're down to 14 men. But that's easy on hindsight, isn't it, when they think we can score a try because we've got dominance at set piece. And we've Makes got a genius of everyone, score. hindsight. We all, again, it's really easy to sit there in hindsight and, and throw... I've built a whole career on it, Brian. It's, yeah, it's, it's I, mean, I'm, I'm, I can not... see why you're on your own now, sat in the house and nobody's listening to you. <laughs> I'm only joking. You've got that right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's not even Saturday and he's already giving us a chat. Exactly, we're midweek, midweek, midweek. Yeah, um, <laughs> just to sort of zoom out on the fixture itself, and obviously I asked you if you'd ever been more confident of a Scotland win. Um, and... I agree with you. The performances don't necessarily dictate that. Some of the sort of the history, the recent history very much does in that obviously four out of your last six Calcutta matches you've won, um, only lost one of the last six. Obviously there was that draw at Twickenham. Um, three in a row. Does anyone know when the last time Scotland won four on the bounce against England was? Early 70s, it was a good run, wasn't it? Under Peter Brown, he, the hammer uh, of the English. But... 18, 18, 19... <laughs> Um, <laughs> go on, yeah, go on. 18, 1895. Oh, that's one of them. 1893 to 1896. That's it. Wow. So, Chewy, that's pretty remarkable. Anyway, obviously, you're on the cusp of repeating something that hasn't yeah. happened in 130 years. So, obviously, I know you said that you're not necessarily the most confident you've ever ever been, but there is plenty of reason with this fixture in particular 100%. to be yeah. confident. 100%. And obviously, watching England last weekend and even though I've got no affiliation to them, I'll still watch the game and I'll still analyse it in a way. And you're looking at Felix Jones and you're looking at South Africa defend and how England are defending now, which is pretty clear and different from where they are. If anyone can pick up people flying out of lines, it might be Finn. Yeah. And that's the different thing. Hugh Jones is a very good line runner of blitz defences. Yeah. Can we then get the space for them to fill into with Sione, Hugh, Cam, all these three, can them three or them four make sure we dent big holes around it? Because if we get holes, we'll get edges. And I think that's what happened in 2018, wasn't it? You know, yeah. I mean, there were big holes and Russell made hay. Yeah. And weather will be important, you know, if it stays dry, if it's not windy, to allow us to play like that. Set piece will be massive. Can we deal with, can we get scrum? Can we get line out? Set piece to have a crack at them. Because if we're going to be Blitzy and narrow. He's got a kicking game that'll go cross field. Mm. England have got Freddie Stewart, who's an exceptional 
aerial player, but with Van der Merwe or a Stein or a Kinghorn that's six foot five as well, we're now going to make this a contest potentially. Mm. If the centres and wingers are closing, we can isolate 15 because that's how South Africa have defended for the last five years. Is Kinghorn fit? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah back in squad training. So okay. that's another asset around there because he's aerial skills, yeah, yeah. which yeah. allows them to Finn to bring in his other aspect, his kick pass. So um, look, it is intriguing. It's just whether we've got the mindset and attacking mindset to say we're going to have a real go at England and we're going to make it difficult. We may concede one, but we're going to try and create three. And then we're going to go back and we're going to recycle it again. Because yeah. the only team in the world that can play multi-phase is Ireland and nobody else can play it like them. Nobody, yeah. by a country mile. But I, but one of the things that was was made of the last time the teams play, I know that uh, Rega came off and he, he referred to a gap in fitness or an edge in fitness that he felt that Scotland had. Um, I wonder if uh, if you think that that's still there from what you've seen of England. Um, I, I would probably look at the bench and who, who comes on and who doesn't come on. Um, what bench England pick? Um, you know, two Lange and Lawrence have been out. People like Dan Cole and people like that. And Marla or older. Can we run them around a little bit? Mm. But there's lots of things to say. Who's coming on? The fitness in the end of the game is going to be crucial. Um, it Dan will... Cole played in the game that they lost in 1896. Yeah, exactly. And you were reporting on it. Well, in, indeed, indeed, and 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 I and and exactly. you were fifty four then as well. That was okay. Just, to be honest, coming, Brian, I, 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 I think I think you win the game if your line out stacks up. I, yeah. I think the I think the line out is massive on in the weekend, huge. Yeah, and that, again, that's part of who's going to play because England have a a different back row solution with. Mm. Do they pick the big bat row to make it? Having that extra six is a massive losing Courtney Laws as a six is yeah. a big a big loss. Why does South Africa compete so well at set pieces with step with Toy and there's two second rows? It's huge. A six can disrupt everything. You have to then go five man lineouts and you get five man lineouts. You congest the midfield. What does Scotland want? Either the full lineouts to go. So I can actually we can isolate one on ones, but if you go. Five and sixes, you've got bat rowers out there. The likes of Ben Errol, that'll be like a little pest scuttling around on the floor. Great. It's easier. So there are lots of ways that you can skin a car. It just, as you say, can we have a set piece that's going to, going to stack up? Fingers crossed they can, because that's been been challenges in the past for us. And that'll be a challenge for England to who they select in that sixth position. You mentioned um, the Felix Jones blitz defence. And I think there's a really interesting dynamic there, because obviously, yes, of all people, all tens in the world, Finn is one to pick apart dog legs and gaps in the defence as a result of blitz defence. But the South African blitz defence did keep him pretty quiet yeah. um, in the World Cup in 2023. I think that can, is then a sort of antidote to the fact that not only will England have Finn Russell in their head, but they will very much have the ghosts or the nightmares of Duhan van der Merwe from last year. So what do you make of that sort of dynamic where are England trying to stop those two massive threats from which there's a very real memory within most of the squad actually at source or yeah. England, you know, are they being a bit more hesitant as a result because they you don't can't, want You can't do a blitz defence and be hesitant. It is yeah. all or nothing. So it is everyone's in. Kitchen sink the lot. We're buying into it and we're not stopping. That's the only way to do in a blitz defence. 
So that will be no, that won't be discussed. That will be their way. How can Finn deal with it? Scotland game against Africa. It was both sides of the pitch. Van der Merwe had a three on two. Darcy Graham had a three on two, and we didn't take either. And against that blitz D, you may only get two chances. Because against Africa, you don't get a set piece chance. You can't maul them. You can't outscrum them. Whereas can we outscrum England? Can we outmaul England? I think there's more parity in there. There's an opportunity. If we have to go there, we'll go there. But yeah. we also got our back. We've got to back our instinct. As I said at the very start, Finn, back your instinct. Everybody else, you have got to work your nuts off to be in a position where he has choices. If not, we'll struggle. Mm. Do you think Tuolangi comes back in for England then, given... Oh, God. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I don't necessarily agree he's, with it, but in terms that of... He, he's, he's, he's overpaid, overhyped, and over here. It's a bloody nightmare. And he's just behind you. Yeah, well, <laughs> well whoopee do because he'll get injured before he reaches me. <laughs> Look, I, I think that's the balance, isn't it? You know, and, and I have to be honest that like Oli Lons playing as a 12 or Tulangi playing as a 12 is where I would want them. If I was playing or coaching a team against them, I want them closer because they're easy to contain. That one out place, the best Oli Lons has played in all his career has been as a 13. And Tuolangi. And Tuolangi. Exactly. It's one out. It's harder to contain. And if you bring them in closer, you stand a little bit wider and you force them back into where a bat roars, a Darje or a Hamish or a... You're going to go on then. Run over me. Finn's not shy of being running into. Go and run into Finn then. He'll tackle. He's a brave man. Mm. That's not the issue. So for me, I would be more concerned if they were at 13. Man who can't play 13 as effective as he used to. All he can. Fraser and Slady didn't have not, nothing wrong. But so, I mean, you look at I mean, it's, it's it, you know the twelve the twelve things fascinating because if you're the inside centre position, you look at what Bundyaki does for um, yeah. you, you know for, for Ireland and so on. Now, I, I'm not I don't think that Tuilagi I don't think his hands are as bad as a, 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 a made out very often, but I don't think he has Aki's offloading uh, game. No. In the in the same way, but when they played against Ireland, I think again we're talking about, um, I I think it was uh, 2018 in Dublin, and they had Tuilagi at 12 and Slade at 13, and you know they they played very very well. Tuilagi again had just come off injury and he punched over the gain line consistently. I don't buy uh, Chris's, uh, um, you know. Uh, theory that he's, he, he, you know, that he's got cement boots and so on and so forth. I think he's uh, he's still capable of of of, I, of causing real trouble. I think if he's fully fit, can he last? Can, like the blitz D stuff is is going to be an interesting thing because it is going to be more aggressive than any of them that are playing. Mm. Nobody in the Premiership plays with that aggression. Mm. So can he make good decisions? I'm lining up on X. And that's when I'm going. Or I'm yeah. lining up here. Like you get it wrong by five, six inches. You can't spin off. You can't everything else has to fold up on the underside of it to cover yeah. it. So I'm not I, I I tend to agree. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he's got the fitness to last that game, if they're going to be like that, because if there's a kick chasing mentality, it's going to do a lot of running and not touching the ball. Mm. And then ultimately that's where where is where, who's going to be the best to suit that defensive blitz? And if they're going to say, well, actually, we're going to frustrate Scotland. 
because that's going to be a lot of running but not touching the ball. That isn't necessarily Manu's best asset. Mm. I'm, I'm with Chris, but I think England might well be tempted because let's face it, how you know England are underdogs. How are they going to beat Scotland at Murrayfield? You get to Finn Russell. One yeah. of the re, one of the ways you get to Finn Russell is you close down his options. So yeah. you know, obviously, you can get to him one on one, try and get him. But if not, you get the two Scotland centres. And I think England might be tempted to have Manu absolutely barreling in defensively into the two Scotland centres just to cut uh, Finn's options down. So although I'm with Chris totally, I think he's bench at best. I think England are going to be tempted to play him, start him. Is, 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 so, in in, in defence of Tuolangi, and it's not a sentence people often hear me say, um, in defence of Tuolangi, it, it is inaccurate to call him a one-trick pony. He's actually a one-trick shire horse. <laughs> Jesus, uh, anyway. Hiya, Manu, how are you, pal? Nice <laughs> Chris, we could put together a pretty damn good compilation of you slagging off Manu to Alangi on no, this yeah. I, 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 it's, not, it's not really about you, him. You I, pick, I have no, I have no particular pick, objection to the Who would you pick? Take away, the, take away the, the view. Who would you pick in that team and say, right, that's who I would nail my... Because that's not been a position that they've nailed. What, 12, 12 is a nightmare. Exactly. That's why I was so tough. Eddie didn't pick Cam. I'm now. I'm now. I mean, Cameron. Cameron Redpath would have walked it. Cameron Redpath would have walked it. I mean, I do. I do wish Slade actually had spent quite a long career. I quite like. I know the game has changed a bit, or changed a lot in terms of of centre combinations. And what the optimum is, he said there's no optimum, really, unless you've just got two geniuses. You know, there's there's no optimum. I mean, you can play this yeah. thing different ways. The last time the Wallabies were any good, they had Matt Gitto at centre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Inside centre. Yeah. I yeah. like the ball playing. I like the ball playing te- uh, 12. I think that gives you a hell of a lot of um, a hell of a lot of options. Um, it's a, to me, it's a more imaginative form of rugby, or 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 it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a wider game yeah. of rugby that you have the potential to play in. I would love to have seen Slade be a career twelve, personally, mm-hmm. and then you can have a really hard runner, a big aggressive hard runner banging in at a soft underbelly, just in areas that you were talking about earlier on, yeah. where where they do a lot more damage. If yeah. I could have Geordie Barrett tomorrow, I would have Geordie yeah. Barrett tomorrow because he's got everything. But we can't have Geordie Barrett. So if we've got a bloke who's done nothing wrong yet thus far um, in Dingwall, I, would, I think it's a pretty hard call to chuck him out on Saturday. Yeah, and I'll go back to watching Fraser play Captain Scotland under 16s with Cameron at age 15. Uh, him and them both playing 10 and 12 together. Okay. And he was always a 12. And he yeah. was a very good one. And mm-hmm. he's done nothing wrong. Uh, he's a smart rugby player. Um, but again, if 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 the ego of something, and Borthwick's talked about this, is brutal physicality. We're going to dominate this game. And I don't necessarily think that is there. You look at Dante, came off against Scotland. Physical specimen. Mm-hmm. Fika's probably best position has been 12 over the last three or four years. But you you have to get your balance right. It's got to be really clear how you play. Yes, you've got a an Esther Hazen that can be so very you know big and carrying, and that's simple. But you've got a Marcus that plays around with people, and you can't leave Marcus. And Esther Hazen becomes a real decision in that. But so the size in that, and if you're looking at a 12, 13 swapping in and out, whether that was a Tyndall and Greenwood back in the day, who carries, who doesn't, who who tips, who doesn't. There's loads of ways to skin a cat. It's just we have Scott England haven't found no. 
a combination that they're really comfortable. Gregor's found a combination. Sam yeah. Like, yeah, he, he's out and out. Now, I, I still think Cam should be in, but that's because I'm a dad and mm-hmm. I'm going to say that. But ultimately, that's his best, he feels his best team. And I, I don't have a big issue with Tuolangi on, on the, it's not really about Tuolangi. Well, the thing that drives me up the wall is the obsession with him. Yeah, yeah. The sort of media yeah. obsession with the bloke based on not a lot. I mean, he's had a handful of exceptional games for England. Exceptional games. Largely at 13. I know Nickel raised the the the, the, the game against Ireland with Slade. Yeah. But when he ran through the All Blacks, Brad Barrett was 12. Not age 12, although it does seem that long, it does seem that long ago. But I, I mean, I could understand the attraction of Tuolangi at 13. He could wreak absolute havoc. What's gonna what's gonna win England the next World Cup? Not Manu Tuolangi. Yeah, so like ultimately well, that's well, that's some of the discussions that there, really. and need to go on now, really. And realistically, uh, if Oxford's got time and a really good World Cup, it Proved a lot of points, not proved a lot of points, I've said it, benefit the draw and dug in and a really good team spirit. They've yeah, got, they got semis. Ultimately, now, what's going to ha- What's going to get them to the exact same position next time, but to beat Ireland, South Africa, New Zealand in the knockout stages isn't going to be a 33-year-old now in that midfield area no. or a 31 or 32-year-old, is it? No, it isn't. So that's a bit, whether, I know it's about winning games and you've only got <laughs> eight games a year. I get it, totally get it. And we're all sitting here as an outsider's view going, what's going to win that? Well, realistically, he's got a chance to throw out in some youngsters in there and and back yeah. him. He has done but, in some other positions. But it, it's interesting, you know, because he's he's selected a number of the guys from the Northampton backline yeah. who've been on fire. <clears throat> Hasn't given Finn Smith really much of a run so far at all. He's got Dingwall there. He did have Mitchell there. Um, so, you know, you, you had that potential for that back line to be rekindled for, for England. And, and then and Freeman as well. Freeman's there also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dingwall, Freeman, Mitchell. Yeah, yeah. and Slade. Um, and the guy Slade, who... Slade, Slade could fall into that pattern, uh, Saints, if he was there, like well, Hutchison does. Yeah. Falls the, into that pattern, same kind of The guy player. who really yeah. interests He can do the Rory Hutchinson stuff, can't he? He, you know, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Really, really interests me, and we've talked yeah. about this Furbank because yeah. he could possibly be a twelve because of the you know the increased physicality that he now has, and he seems to have a pretty rounded game in in almost every regard. So England are fishing around all the time, but the problem is, is that how do you 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 know how do you make the transition? from playing at fullback, you know, most of the season, to suddenly playing in a position which you probably maybe only played, you know, he's been at 10, he's been at 15, but he's probably not played 12. Well, it you needs know, somebody England... to have some vision, Nick. It needs somebody in the England camp to have vision. I mean, we've been talking about Furbank at 12 for a couple of months. And yeah. can I just point out, by the way, I'd say before all this, he was probably the form back in England. Yeah. George Furbank hasn't played a game of rugby since round four of the European no. <laughs> Championship Cup. He will be old, grey and out of form by the time he next gets on the pitch. You know, he hasn't had a game in five, six weeks. He won't get another game in the next three, four weeks. How ludicrous that you're one of your number one players in, in the country for that period at the height of the season isn't even getting on the park. 
I, I understand Nick's fears about about t taking somebody out out of club position and asking them to do something at international level that they're not used to doing. But there are there is a precedent. I mean, it can be done. There is a precedent. And Exhibit A, of course, is Mauro Bergamasco, who was a great back rower, shoved in its scrum half by by Nick um, Mallet, one of the great coaches um, in the world. And what a triumph! I mean, Brian, you would remember that game oh, no, as a scrum half. I mean, have you ever seen anything quite like it? I haven't. No, like I think he hit row six on his first pass <laughs> with the dead ball line being twenty five meters. And he threw it over the scrum, the fly half's head about seven meters, and you're like, oh no, yeah, that might get. I might be a great way of having another bat rower, but he wasn't a Terry Holmes or a Mike Phillips or a Gary Armstrong. So I was like, geez, fair play to him, but yeah, he didn't last very long, did he? No, no, it was. It I, was I, I think go back to the point. Is that's funny old thing, old thing. Ferguson, Alex Ferguson used to always say, coaches coach, players play, managers manage. You play in the positions you play at that you're best at and you pick them and you back it. Yeah. And if you don't, then that's like that's it. You pick people in positions and you can get away with it every now and then. If Fairbank's great and he's playing well and he deserves to play at a 15, get him in then. Is his high balls an issue? Not necessarily. Is his attacking game good? Is his kicking game good? Has he improved? Yes. Mm -hmm. Does that put pressure on Freddie Stewart? Yes. Who's the best wingers in the league? Pick your best people. But it doesn't. It comes down to who you're comfortable with, who you know, what you feel that I'm settled with. And, you know, a lot of people do it. They don't make changes for the sake of it. International caps don't get thrown out willy-nilly. Yeah. So it's it's a tough one, but the centre position is going to be huge. With a blitz defence and a carry to get to Finn to make him tired or get a niggle on him, you're going to have to have some some physicality and set piece to do that. So it's going to be really interesting from from what England point of view and how Scotland handle it as well. I think in that sense, one of Lawrence or Tuolangi will come in in terms of ca carrying at Finn or carrying at the Scotland. Yeah. Ireland's midfield have carried 35 times yeah. so far in these two games. Scotland 29. England's midfield has carried into contact 13 times. Yeah. So a, a massive, massive difference. I think... The thing that concerns me is that Kevin Sinfield has been saying, obviously, Ollie and Manu are coming back in. He groups them together. And Brendan, you've been one to say we absolutely should not be saying that Ollie Lawrence is the next Manu Tuolangi. No, um, he's, he's a much he's a different player entirely to my eyes. Brian, like you've said, he does his best stuff at 13. <laughs> and Manu Tuolangi, with the exception of when Owen Farrell has been in the England team as a 12, has been played at 12 for the last four. Yeah. Or yeah. Go back to... Um... Your point on the carries. Yeah. Which 10? Do you think if Marcus Smith was playing, the 12s and 13s would carry less? Or more? More. More. Yeah. He likes using the 12, doesn't he? I'm, not saying, I'm just saying that George Ford is class for his kicking and his tactical approach. Marcus is used for his multi-phase, especially around the transition area between the 10s. Then he can then manipulate outside backs because he'll play in this middle area. But at the moment, a lot of teams play with fear around their own 10-metre line. So yeah. we don't have any carries because we're worried about getting the jackal on off. Well, actually, Marcus won't do that. He will play with carries. He will say, carry the ball, and I want it quick because the next phase is important for me. Mitchell's at his best when he's got multi-phase and speed yeah. her up. It, and, Finn, and Finn Smith might be able to bridge exactly. the gap between Ford and, and Marcus Smith because <laughs> I think he can probably do a bit, a, a bit of both very well. 
Even as a great Scottish border man, you know what I mean? I love well, it. absolutely. I, I was going to say, it's one that we've managed to nick off you. <laughs> well, no, look, his, his dad's been asked to leave Gala Shields because you can't talk to him anymore. It's out of order, you know what I mean? I was only middle stuff with Cam. He was only age-level stuff. I only left for a little bit. But he's now if he gets cut for England, that's it. He's gone, I've told him. Yeah. So we so we nicked Finn Smith and your oil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Henry oh, Adams right, okay. as well, another Scottish lad. Jesus Christ, England oh, team. Henry could have played for anybody. He, he's like, he was Six Nations, I think he was calling. Oh, I was like Budge Poutney, yeah. Channel oh, Island. <laughs> the Jersey connection. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Born on a boat, that means you can go anywhere. <laughs> no, I agree with your point, Brian, about Marcus Smith, but would he give it to Fraser Dingwall to carry as much as he does to Andre Esterhazen? Because someone like Esterhazen... Is a get out of jail free card, really? If you're on, especially if you're on the back foot. The two best carriers in any back division generally you have two of them. You have a blindside winger and a centre. Yeah. Whereas twelve or a thirteen on a winger, and ultimately that's who carries more than anybody else. You use them to create space for others. Simple. You have a centre that can carry and a back three or a winger that can carry, and you can move them around to whether you carry in around ten, or you carry a bit wider out. So you just manipulate it that way, and you look at some of the best players that do that, and that's why it's, it's so impressive with Ireland. And not necessarily, Bundyak is the obvious carrier. James Lowe's another one that's got physicality to carry. The other centres, the play, they pick Henshaw or McCluskey, they're all carriers. So yeah. they've always got one this there, and it's generally always twelve. And that's the bit that the blind winger Lowe does that carrying off the shoulders and then a little bit of the edge. So I, I think England need. To, it doesn't matter who you pick. You've got to make a decision how you want to play the game. The decision is you want to play it this way or you want to play it that way. And at the moment, that seems to be my, you play, you can't play Marcus because he plays that way. And you have to play Owen and you have to play George Ford. That's the way you play. There's two difference. What is the middle? Can Marcus do this in the middle? Can Finn Smith do this in the middle? Can Fairbank do that in the middle? That's probably the decision that England, and that comes from the coaching to what you do Monday to Friday, you can't just bring it in willy-nilly a second half and go, well, lads, just throw it around. Because it, it's not what they practised. So I guess everyone's question is, what is England's DNA? What is their game plan? What is their uh, structure? And this is such a pivotal game because, you know, outwardly they made a decent start, two wins, but they are, I haven't been remotely impressed by England yet. If, you know, but this is the one. If they can beat Scotland away, yeah. okay, there's some improvement made. If they don't, it could be quite a grim season for the rest of the season for England. So this is absolutely their season there Saturday afternoon in in, in Murrayfield, I reckon. Well, this is what Jerry Guscott was saying, wasn't it? He's, we asked him what would represent a good Six Nations for England, and it was win three games. Yeah. So right at the start, he didn't see us beating Ireland, and he didn't see us beating France. France, maybe the door has now opened slightly. Ireland, I think it's almost firmly shut. So... You know, if yeah, this is the key game he was talking about to turn a Six Nations into a successful one rather than a, another one. But also, let's see what the, as, as Brian said, the DNA. What is the DNA Absolutely. of the team? It's also we'll see key. it on Saturday. It's also key that in this season that they begin to find, they've got to find the way that they want to play the game. And that's not what's happening. At the, at, well, there's a difference between what I think that the English rugby fan wants to see and what Steve Borthwick has got in mind. 
And that is a very difficult thing to bridge at the moment. And it's proving so because you can see it on the field. They're betwixt and between as far as they're talking a game that's about handling, that's about seeing space and creating space and so on. And they're not really playing it. And that's the problem. And they're not really picking the players in order to facilitate that sort of game. And, you know, so this selection against Scotland, in some ways, although it's another must-win game, you know, for the sake of the season and so on and so forth, I sort of think that, in a way, the two easiest games have gone. I hesitate to call any game in the Six Nations easy, but the two games where they could really have experimented most have probably gone. And experimenting more in this game, which has all the signs of being incredibly tight, in uh, is, is more difficult. But I still think that he should do it. I think Finn Smith should get a, you know, a significant run against Scotland. If they if they're serious about playing that, you know that that broad. I, I tend to agree. They're fixing the defensive side clearly. Bang, that's it. It's it's it is what it is. Saris have done a lot of that defensive blitzing for a long, long time, and then they met they they changed their attacking game over the last two or three years to score the most tries in the league than they won it a couple of years ago. So you've got to give them credit for that. And ultimately, what's who's going to beat Ireland, New Zealand, South Africa? And how are you going to do that? Having a one-dimensional game or having a game that you can actually go, we're going to take this game to them in this part of it, in the first 20. We're going to then drop back into this. We're going into there. We're going to have to go at different stages to win World Cups. And England are all about winning World Cups, let's be honest, because that's where they've been in the past and in history. The other teams in the Northern Hemisphere, France have been there, and because they've had the ability to go set-piece, broken field, and now disciplined. Whereas in the past, they couldn't win certain things because they were ill-disciplined. So that's the only balance. Obviously, what has England got to do to be in the mix? And that's the yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. And that's ultimately what all the punters that we all want to, not me, because I'm not that fussed, really, but uh, in the nicest <laughs> possible way. <laughs> but on a whole, that's when I sit back and watch and I'll go, well, what am I watching there? Oh, I'm mm-hmm. watching a massive scrum. Great. Watching a really good mall. Oh, I'm watching them actually get 15 points up and open up the floodgates and the game's gone, which they used to be able to do. Mm. 2002 or 2000 to 2005, they had the ability to rip you apart and you were like, oh, geez, I I don't fancy kicking loose to them. I don't fancy sitting there in a a battle because I think they've got a battle in team. They've got a battle in pack, but they've got a bat row that can play a bit. You've got a back in there and you had a Richard Hill that... Never said much, but it was always there. You got Lawrence that was always pitching up, and suddenly you got big old brutes in the middle row. You're thinking, oh, don't have a wee rumble in there either. So now, have they got this anymore? Yeah, they've got a lot of players with experience and and great players, but it's not great players. It's great teams that, that make a difference, and that's a coaching team too. Mm. So, so what what what's the view collectively of of, of George Ford? Um, I, I, I I ask it because relatively or, or within living memory England history is full of this stuff. Loads of people wanted to get rid of Rob Andrew because yeah. there was a more exciting option. Loads of people wanted to get rid of Owen Farrell because there was a more exciting option. It even used to be said, although it bored and I in heresy, but it even used to be said about Wilkinson at times. Yeah, yeah. 
oh, Johnny ain't what he was, you know. But but the point was, those three individuals were massively influential in England winning the games they won, and they ended up in World Cup finals with them. It you know in those positions, blah 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 blah, or or, or knocking on the door of of these things. Um, you know they were they were lions. They were players of massive achievement. If 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 people think that George Ford is as good as I think he is, actually as a game manager and as a almost like a coach on the field and all that stuff, it's tough to get rid of the bloke, isn't it? Well, I don't think you should hang a hat on him. I still think though, you, some of the names you mentioned there, one of the best tens I ever played with, Charlie Hodgson, outstanding. Yeah, outstanding. A running game. His tactical yeah. kicking game, his goal kicking. What he wasn't was as big a defender as Johnny Wilkinson. Could yeah. he run a backline? Yes, he could. Mm. And that showed Jason Robinson, Steve Hanley, Mark Cueto, top try scorers in the leagues for yeah. years. Based on that, but who could still win games in Europe and they end up getting to there, winning premiership games with Leicester. But he had a free reign to do that. Whereas George Ford, I don't know how, if what he thinks he's allowed to do, Alex Anderson highlighted last year, when he plays, we've got a running game now that can challenge anyone. Mm. We've also got a kicking game. What is he What is he doing that he doesn't sail? Do you know what I mean? Or even Leicester to that level. Yeah. When he has to get to the final, and Freddie obviously does his, his gig and runs around mad. But um, I think on a whole, that's the, that, the question you're asking is, you, know, you need great tens, and you, England have got great tens. Got great tens. But the game plan must be allowed for them to flourish into that. Yeah, yeah. And his de his default position, playing for England at the moment, certainly in the first two games that we've seen, yeah. is that he's kicking the ball more than he's moving the ball. Yeah. Now there may be very good reasons for that, but it's not doing what they said that they wanted to do. Go back to my point. What is the DNA? Yeah. What's Ireland's DNA? Play. Scotland's has generally been played. Play. Well, that's it, and they'll win and lose by that. And Where England's has generally been England's has generally been kick, yeah, it's kick and set piece. So, which has won big teams, big trophies in all all formats. So it won Sarri's lots of things for a long time. Blitz D, good kicking game, and a set piece that could cope. It won Leicester the league, great, you know. But it doesn't. It's won South Africa World Cup. Cups. Yeah, so it's got England to a semi final in the World Cup. Yeah. But in a recycling period, could we beat South Africa any other way about being in that game? Could we beat New Zealand or Ireland playing like that? I don't think we could. No, no. I don't many teams can. No, agreed. It's funny, this is the 98th episode of the Rugby Paper podcast and it feels like about the 98th debate we've had about what England's identity <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And about the midfield, actually. Um, so we're clearly making good progress. Uh, I'd like to talk about the Scotland midfield very, very briefly, um, Brian, and I'm obviously going to ask about Cam. I'm, I've also been spending the last hour trying to figure out which one in that photo wall is Cam, uh, behind, just behind you to your left. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, he's the in there, yeah. Yeah, in the long sleeve, the long sleeve shirt. Am I right? Is that uh, it's, right. It's, it's not the one on the top right? <laughs> nah, 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 nah. That's my daughter, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'd, um, yeah, look, it's 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 a weird one, and I, I you know, I, I'll always support Cam above others. I still think he should be playing. I do think he gives Finn an, an out, 
more often. Um, I, I, I'll always be biased. I'm not. I have huge respect for Sione and Hugh Jones and Chris Harris and uh, Hutchison. I think all them four centers are bloody, bloody good players. Um, and I do think that Finn can have an off day for Bath and Cam can help him out and his team still win. I'm not saying to think that always happens with them at Scotland, not because of. I just think Cam's talents to be either a receiver or a player, or he's got an offload, or he's got a little bit of feet work, and he he's not small at ninety-seven kilograms. He doesn't. He's not. It's not about running dead into people, but he he'll do it. But ultimately, they need some evasion around it, whether it's a blind wing scooting out or someone else or him showing going. Um, I'll always you know back Cam to compete at that level. He hasn't played with that starting team since his first cap in twenty twenty one. The the way you describe his 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 um his skill set there, Brian, that goes back to what we were what I was saying earlier. That I mean, Geordie Barrett is not um, a like for like because Geordie Barrett's a bloody great big bloke, but he is the epitome of the footballing second five eighth, isn't he? Yeah, he, he's, he, he, his skills. He's, he's the kind of bloke that the All Blacks always picked before yeah. Mar Nonu came along. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, Aaron Major played a load at, at, at twelve. Yeah. And if you're looking at a Walter Little and Frank Bunce back in the day when we were all absolutely oh young, you know what I mean? I look at mm-hmm. Philip Seller running around and a Frank Manel and all the these. Big, the big nasty was always at thirteen in the All Blacks. Yeah, exactly. Back so, in the day. But I think I think that the part for me is is I think Cam can help him out a lot. Um, but the centres that have played haven't done that much wrong to allow him to say, yeah. "Well, Cam, Cam's had his injuries in that time, which meant that twenty twenty one came on as a uh, came into the team as a twenty one year old, and he's like, great. Then he's got injury, injury, injury. Others come in, cement positions, build trust, perform. So Cam's got to wait his turn. Yeah, and at the moment, waiting his turn is. They never played that badly to not be always in a game or always creative to do something. So he just has to sit tight. Um, but you know, for the midfield is a big thing for Scotland, and they're, they're very good at it. So, but we have to use it. We have to, we have to hammer it home that they're both like Hugh's such a good line runner. We have to use them, or we, it becomes it's not as effective because Chris Harris is, is an exceptional defender at thirteen. And when he plays at 13 with a very solid, but he doesn't have the running game. Sione plays 13 a lot at Glasgow, so he's got the ability to swap in and out. Um, and ultimately, it's it comes down to test match level, who performs, and Cam's got to wait his turn. And the fact his turn is tomorrow or the weekend or the weekend after at Italy, he's just got to make sure that he's on it to do it. And he just wants to do it with the best team because he's never played in the starting 15 since his first cap. And that's where he's like, just wants a chance. But international rugby isn't about giving people emotional chances. It's about what's right for the team. And that's where Gregor has generally made decisions, Probably, I would probably say, correct. He's not got many of them that bad. Yeah. So as a dad, I can sit down with Cam and be pretty comfortable saying that to him. Um, not always great to hear it, but at least if I can say it, he's a, he's a very level-headed Rather have it straight talking than he would have any tarted up. Well, if he just do this a little bit or that a little bit, he's not really in for that. He's just tell me why or what, and if it's right or wrong, I'll get on with it. But just be upfront. So I think that always helps. And he's been lucky enough that I've treated him like that as well when he's been young. So he's not shy of being told old school, and he would rather have old school and then he go back to his club and he can work on certain things. 
Yeah. It's fair to say, I suppose, Brian, isn't it, that Tripolotu came out of last year's Six Nations is probably, he was in most people's team of the tournament at 12, actually. And, and he, he's one of those guys who was unfamiliar to a lot of us. Mm. Um, and his, 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 his skills and his contribution have just grown and, and grown and grown. And he's, he's impressed a hell of a lot of people who knew sorrow yeah. about him in the first place. Yeah. And he played a lot of his rugby at 13. So that's what he, he had, yeah. He'd only played, I think, two games at 12 prior to the six. Oh, really? Okay. Stafford McDowell was playing 12. Yeah. Sayoni was at 13 all season. He had played two games at 13 and played in the wing a lot. So what Gregor's just gone down as well, I can't go back to our big points and debates. I'm going my trusted two. I'm a trusted three. That's what I'm going with. They've not let me down. I don't think they performed their best against the top five sides. That's what I will say. Mm-hmm. South Africa, Ireland, they haven't performed their best in the big stages when we've been asked to. Mm, fair enough. Is that because of they, they've just got our number? Or is it because of they're all similar? It's quite the same. Like it's there's not much yeah. you don't necessarily see a sidestep and an offload getting a hand through the back door. It's quite direct or it's quite tippy or it's linking. So it has worked, but has it I'm only being critical here, and that, that's me being critical of a team that's competed in the top five in the world for the first time for a bloody long time. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard to be critical of of staff and players. Yeah. Just because Cameron's involved, but I can see it. But do I think it needs something else at a different time in the game? Of course I do, and I think Cam can do that. And you know, fingers crossed, he can get longer than four minutes and thirteen minutes to do it. Hundred mm. percent. He was actually a guest on the podcast um, about eighteen months or so, which I think was probably the towards the end of his sort of injury run. Yeah. Um, in that sense, do you and he rue that sort of misfortune and obviously that performance against England in, it was 2021, wasn't it? Was 2021, yeah, COVID time. Um, coming of age moment and then obviously he was so unlucky and then you come in and Hewitt Pilotto at 12 and 13 is much more established. Yeah, I, I think we're really close on that front. We speak a lot about it um, when we need to. Um, I'm very conscious that Cam is now a 24-year-old kid um, man, uh, you know, as I say, six foot two, ninety-seven, ninety-eight kegs is not a wee kid, and not someone that I can slap around anyway. Um, I can can from here, obviously, but uh, <laughs> I think that the key thing that I'm kind of aware of as well, what his coach wants in Bath and what his coach wants in Scotland is what Cam needs to get get his head around, and that's the that I will say to him as well, knock on his door and ask him a blunt question. Don't ferry around it. If if you don't train the best, if you don't do what he asks you to do, don't knock on his door. But if you're doing it and he's saying you're doing it and he doesn't pick you, knock on his door and ask outright. Be clear. Be Take away the grey on a discussion. If I think that when we have a discussions prior to some things like that, if I don't think he's right, I'll tell him. I think, well, I don't think you're carrying big enough. I don't think you're doing enough. I don't think you're hitting hard enough or I don't think you're linking well enough. I've not got a kicking game. When am I seeing it? If I think that, I'll tell him. Mm. And I expect him to go away and think of it. And if he if he he definitely comes back at me about getting back in my little spinning wheel where the hamsters go and it like get off dad. Do you know what I mean? The game's different from when it was in the back in the day. So I, I I'm comfortable with it. We've got a good relationship, the two of us. What I won't do is put him under any 
extra challenges that he doesn't need to be under because his dad's got an opinion because he's coached and played. Sometimes it's best just sit, saying nothing, letting him come to me. And if he does want to come, he'll ask. If he doesn't, I'll go and have a wee lag on the corner and enjoy. No, that's dead on and fascinating to hear you speak about it as well. Um, how he, How is he 6'2", by the way? How's that happened? I don't know. Somebody rang my door earlier, so it could have been that postman. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is a terrible line of questioning. I, I exactly. have to say. I'm getting into I mean, it. What do, you, what do you expect Brian to say? Oh, exactly. my God. Well, no, my I just wondered whether his, his mum's tall or whether... I don't um, know. No, just stop. Stop. Like because... well, my, dad and, my dad and my both my brothers. My dad was six foot three. Both my brothers are over six foot. There we go. Well, this leads to a whole other bag of questions, doesn't it? You see, yeah, this it does. Is well, I, it and also, I'm a twin, so I have a twin sister. If she hadn't stole half my food, I would have been a six foot monster too. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not even sheepish having asked that because that was a totally innocent question <laughs> about a taller relative or something. And Chewy, don't turned, you worry, don't you it, worry. My wife's not watching. You're all right. Unbelievable. <laughs> cool, should we go back to talking about Manu Tuilangi then? Yeah, well, my youngest oh, son's oh, the same. No. Manu's six foot one as well. Is it? He's a nine though, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, and he's played. He's broken. He's broken his leg now, but he played Scotland twenties for two years as well. Um, he decent, you know. He, he went down the university route instead of he had an option to go to Glasgow on a contract, but he decided to do his uni stuff, which is great. But that's a good thing that they're different as well, different characters, and you know, obviously my daughter as well. So you kind of mix in all three really as it goes along. Yeah, of course. Well, you said he broke his leg. I wish him. Yeah, yeah. I, I was in Leeds at two thirty in the morning. I got a phone call, so he was on the sauce with his mates at uni. So I had a good time, but anyway. Sometimes oh, it's like, Danny, it's like Danny Cipriani up in Newcastle. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Chewy, that's worse than <laughs> I just said. Hey, he just got <laughs> run over by a bus, as somebody said. That's, oh, no, a, I was the coach that, that, that's the best tackle by a number six all season, as they <laughs> yeah, said. The number six bus as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, well, look, we've, we've certainly built up the Calcutta Cup game this weekend quite comprehensively. Yeah. Um, Brian, I did say to you that the podcast will take about an hour. We haven't even spoken about the other two games. If you need to get going or want to get going, obviously, absolutely fine. Yeah, I've probably got this for me. 10 minutes left, yeah. Should we do 10 minutes on Ireland-Wales and then obviously, um, and then we can do a little bit just us, France-Italy? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, we've also all gone for a home win for this one and a comfortable yeah. win for that. Um, Ireland are really starting to build some quite impressive stats, particularly at home 38 out of the last 40 matches at home Ireland have won their last three wins over Wales have been over 20 points uh 17 consecutive home wins Brian is there any scenario in which Ireland don't win no I don't think so and I think if you look at the two teams you're looking at Wales's young fresh four-year World Cup team and it'll be settled by then Gatlin's gone now nah, that's the way I'm going to go and we're going to go down fighting we're going to grow a real strong character of a group that's from 21 to 24 and I'm going to back that and we're not going to go in there and try and um, stop Ireland doing certain things because Ireland as I said earlier on in the on the on the talk that Ireland have got the best attacking shape consistent shape from 1 to 15 than any team in the world and it is structured and it is planned 
but the decision making and the work ethic and the energy they put into it and the skill set they put into it mm-hmm. is probably three years work of, of of training and drills and mindset. And if you're not there, you'll let the team down. And ultimately, I think that's that is is as complete as it can be. And I think uh, you know Crawley's coming in at ten, and he's he's obviously got a running game. And and Sexton was an outstanding outstanding person player. But he's now got a threat as a 10 as well. So he's actually added to the game with his showing goes, with his balls out the back and his passing game. So for me, the, the, the Ireland are the best team at the moment to Northern Hemisphere by a while. And um, I see that being, as you say, a 20-point victory. But, but Wales Wales will be gritty. Wales will have, I think Rob Howley said they were going to create a little bit of shambles. So there'll be quick line-outs, there'll be funnies, there'll be, yeah, there'll be a little bit of, Something that we've maybe not seen in so far in the Six Nations, I think, chucked into that game. If you were Warren, if you were Warren Brian, you'd be quite. I mean, there there is still the potential for a couple of heavy heavy defeats, I suppose, uh, with that side. But if if you were Warren at the moment, you sort of think that's that's not a bad start with these with these guys because that could have been two forty pointers for sure. Yeah, you know, if you compared the sides on paper, it's a very unfamiliar Welsh side. That's they'll take a lot out of this thus far, won't they? Like, and I think he'll treat this camp, i.e. when they're together in this block, because they've got no distractions, they've got together for eight to ten weeks. It's like a mini World Cup again. They'll say, right, this is what we need to learn. We're not moving away from this until we get to there. And Mike Forshaw and Kingy and all these guys will be all the same. They'll be, they'll be reiterating, well, this is still your apprenticeship. So your apprenticeship within 12 months, you've already gone to stage two of your apprenticeship if they've got a steady team, which they've had, your apprenticeship is going to take three years. He's fast-tracking everyone through this apprenticeship. And he's going, right, well, you need to grow up, lads. But you're going to have a good time doing it, and you're going to do it together with a group of lads. The in three and four, you're going to have 25 caps. You're going to have 30 caps, and you're going to go then to next World Cup, 30, 40 caps under your belt. And the 60, 70, 80 ones, we'll just sprinkle them around. Master Williams, George North, whoever it may be, Josh Adams, whatever it may be, they'll scatter them around because you need them. You still need some old dogs, a Wayne right in there, a Dan Liddy occasionally may stick in there, but you're going to need them. So he's got a free, he's chosen to have a free bat. And that's the difference. He's made the decision to go down that route and the Welsh rugby, who's in a different turmoil, He's the one. The national team's going this way with these youngsters, and you're going to play them at Cardiff, Ospreys, and Dragons. You're going to play them, and he's done it a couple of times previously, hasn't he? And, and, and what, what, one of the distinctions has often been you, 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 you often heard anecdotal, or even even further than anecdotal, just from the horse's mouth of England players when it was in a dip, couldn't wait to get out of the England environment, hmm. could not wait to get out of Pennyhill Park and yeah. go back to their clubs. It's for a long time under Gatland. The Wales was the very opposite. That that it was that was that was the fun bit of their career going yeah. to the national side. Yeah. The 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 bad bits were struggling regional teams. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that tragically that's a pressure that England players are under and can be put under with the twelve clubs with a successful club and then not successful international or not feeling successful or wanted. And it's very difficult. And that's France and, and, and England have very similar mentalities because of the club game is, is so big and strong 
ultimately you're going to have people that don't like it. Whereas Scotland, Ireland, Wales tend to have playing back in the day for the south of Scotland was like an international cap for me. Okay. Yeah. I was like playing, beating Gary Armstrong or Greg Oliver to play for the south was as big an honour as playing for Scotland because if mm. I got in front of them, I was playing for Scotland. Yeah. But to beat, keep them out as borderers, I was like, geez, I'm going to keep Greg out. Then for Hoig, Gary at Jed and me at Melrose. I'm like, Christ, if I can keep them out and then represent the South against Edinburgh, Glasgow, North of the Midlands, that, that's like massive. Mm. So then you look at the districts as the same and then you look at England's challenges are different. Whereas I think that's, that's, it's always been there with that with England, as you say, and the media pressure is is difficult as well. So, but I go back to, I think this, this game, Ireland are, Gibson Park for me is is probably the best in the Northern Hemisphere. You know, obviously Dupont is as well, but I think Gibson Park is a complete player now and and adds so yeah, much value good. to that team. Um, and I think in general their one to fifteen is just all on the same page. And even their one to twenty three, when they make changes, they're all on the same page. And that that's taken a few years. And I think their coaching staff settled and and all on the same page too. I don't think there's any grey around their coaching. We're going this way, lads. This is what suits the island way. How we want to play, how we can beat teams physically, mentally, fitness-wise, then we're going to stick to it and going to go hard at it. So they have the top team at the moment. On the assumption that they do win on Saturday, they will go on to equal England's record of 11 consecutive Six Nations wins. Yeah. Which would then mean that they would go on to beat it at Twickenham against England should they should they obviously win that game. Exactly. Which but, is great for England, because that's a great incentive for England as well. To Many people have gone, we're going to spoil England's party. Scotland have done it when I played. You know, we're going to spoil the party. And that was first and foremost in everyone's mind. We're going to spoil the party. Whereas that will be a massive driver for England. If they can squeeze a performance out, England, in Murrayfield, and get a win, they will carry 40% more confidence into that Ireland game. I'm telling you, hmm. 100% they will. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Quick shout out to George North, by the way, who is reaching 120 caps on Saturday. He becomes the third Welsh player to do so. Can we name the other two? Alan Wynn. Alan Wynn, for sure. Yeah, um, he's the second. Oh, uh, Ed Prop. Jenkins. Gethin Jenkins. Gethin. Yeah, I was going to say. Because Dan Bigger didn't get as many as that, did he? No, not quite. I think he, was, he tapped out at 110 or just under. Um, yeah. So, yeah, anyway, all five of us have gone an Ireland win there. Um, Brian, I know you need to get going. We'll do a little bit on France, but it's yeah. been absolutely fantastic having you. Are you at, Mar at Murrayfield on Saturday? Yeah, 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 I'll be up there, yeah. And I'm looking forward to it. And, um, yeah, fingers crossed. And, um, yeah, hopefully I can see you all again sometime. Hey, so you're you're the favourite. Scotland are the favourites this time, you know I mean? <laughs> you're no well, longer the underdogs. Nah, that's only every people telling that. I mean, there'll be... They'll be talking to themselves and saying that's not the case. But look, guys, I really appreciate it. Thank Cheers, you. Russian. Good to see you. <clears throat> and good luck and keep safe, everyone. Eh? And you. Thank, Thank you, Brian. Go well. Right. Just very quickly on France, Italy. Obviously, the, well, other than Antoine Dupont making his seventh debut this weekend, the most interesting um, bit of news coming out of the France corner is that Le Midi Olympique which is a very um, credited news outlet in France, has come out questioning Sean Edwards this uh, this week, um, saying that since the start of 2023, 
the French have conceded more than three tries on six occasions, which had not happened to them in the first three years of Sean Edwards' tenure. Uh, Nick, what do you make of all that? Do you think Sean Edwards is under threat? Um, I don't listen. I mean, he's just signed. He, he. I, I think I'm right in saying that he signed a um, a four year extension. Um, so if he's under threat, they're going to have to pay him a bundle um, to say to say cheerio. But um, I look, I, I mean, I I don't think that they can necessarily um, pin it on Sean Edwards. I think that the, you know, the if you like, if there is a malaise there, and let's face it, okay, they got dusted by by Ireland. Uh, but they, uh, whether you the controversial try or not, they got a win at Murrayfield uh, that England would give their eye teeth for, and um, I think defensively they were improved in that game um, on their performance against the Irish. So I think it's a you know it's very French that this is sort of being brought up. At this stage, I, I'm not convinced that uh, that Sean has lost his mojo. I think that it's probably more that some of the French players are feeling the uh, you, you know the deflation uh, after the World Cup. Although you have to say that playing for their clubs, although Aldrich had only just come back before the start of the Six Nations, he was pretty um, he, he seemed pretty switched on. They don't seem as switched on defensively as they were. I thought Fiku, I thought defensively against Ireland, despite all the plaudits for Ireland's performance, I thought the French were poor defensively. I thought that they lacked bite, they lacked cohesion, and those have been the hallmarks that they've had. And they certainly had had it during the World Cup. I don't disagree with that. Well, I mean, look, in any case, we won't dwell on this game too much. Um, partly yeah, just a quick mention, though. I'm... Tom, a friend of the podcast, Tommaso Allen, I thought he had his best game for a long while in the, in the opening match against England, and then has also rather mysteriously dropped out of the squad for personal reasons, although he's still playing for Perpignan. And I can't help thinking that he still sees himself really as a 10, and Garbizi's been picked ahead of him at 10, and Garbizi's not playing well. He hasn't played well for a while. So I think if you're not turmoil but I think there's a little bit of indecision as to what's going on with their backs and their backs are not operating like they did last year where they produced some really good moments yeah I, I well all reasons Tommy Allen gave was similar to Owen Farrell a little bit without necessarily the scrutiny the sort of post World Cup exhaustion so I don't know whether that he just wants some time with family and wants to take a oh absolutely I mean he, I think he wants to fulfill his contract with fighting relegation etc but he started the Six Nations and looked very good in that one match against England at fullback so it was a slightly odd um, way he just dropped out really yeah, yeah. Can, can anyone does anyone know and and, and this is where um, it, it, this says more about me as a as a, a, a journalist and an observer uh, than it does about anyone else because I don't know the answer to this but why did they get shut up Crowley anyway the Italian. Well, do we do? It, I mean, I mean, I mean. It, it seemed to me that that Crowley, in 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 his in his inimitable style, and if anyone who's seen any clips of um, uh, the Netflix um, the Netflix 
the so-called fly on the wall thing from last year, Six Nations. I mean, it was it was a seat of the pants ride between <laughs> with Crowley and and and, and uh, the Italians, but he did make an extraordinary impact. It, both in both in just putting an electrical charge through their attacking game, and and just giving talented players the confidence to go and sort of fill their boots. And it, it seemed, yes, I mean. Italy had a terrible World Cup, but, but at that point we knew that Crowley was going. I mean, it was a. It well, the word is it was a big fallout with the president. Um, oh, really? And of course, Italian president is a, a more powerful figure than well, indeed than uh, in, in rugby terms than you know the sort of chairman of the over here. And you know there was a suggestion that the president wanted Parisi to come back and captain the team at the World Cup, and that was. One one point of argument. I can't believe it'd be just that. I mean, that would have undermined Lamro. But then again, Lamro had a lamentable World Cup. So it's all been a bit odd Italy the last six months or so. Very strange. Very yeah, strange. It, it is strange. I mean, I, I've, I I think that what Crowley did, I'd agree with you, um, Chris. I think that what Crowley did was uh, was tremendous with Italy. I thought he really, you know, at the beginning of, of, of the last Six Nations, I mean, they were a side transformed. I mean, they overdid it. Um, <laughs> but it was great to watch, <laughs> yeah. and um, it really sort of gave them, you know, gave them sight of, of of where they could could get to. Perhaps I mean the 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 classic figure in the uh, Six Nations documentary is is sidekick Neil Barnes, oh. <laughs> 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 who's, who's a real piece of work. And I suppose when yeah, I think that uh, Bren talked about, or maybe talked about uh, Casada being a better fit in the sense that he's he's Latin, et cetera, et cetera. And there was this sense that perhaps they were getting too far away. And when you watch that documentary and you, you hear Barnes and Crowley effing and blinding in, in the sort of in the Taranaki vernacular, and there's no translator. <laughs> you've, got this, you've got this group of Italian players sort of half of them looking bemused. They can tell that they're they're um, agitated. Let's put it this way. <laughs> whether they've actually got the fine grasp of what they're being told, I'm not sure. Well, they 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 they, they made um, Jim Telfer in '97 sound like Stephen Fry, didn't they? It was just absolutely, <laughs> absolutely phenomenal. But they they were telling it straight. The fact that no one understood what the hell they were saying is neither here nor there. They were good message there. No, it, it doesn't matter what coaches say, really. It's just the you body can, language from them, you, isn't it, really? Yeah, absolutely. You can only assume that guys like Negri and uh, Tommy Allen then had to go and explain to all the guys after the session <laughs> what, what it was about. <laughs> no, but you're right. Italy needs not necessarily a win, but they need a performance. A performance, definitely. Yeah, to get some momentum back. T talking um, about which, we've got an hour and 20 in there and we haven't mentioned the Portuguese lads in terms of performance. They put out a second team, seven of the 23 that beat Fiji. They go to Bucharest, Romania got the full team out and they just run them ragged. And I reckon they played better than they played against Fiji. Six incredible tries. Yeah. And now they're going to go and play England A and they've, they've only picked about six of the lot who beat Romania. So it's basically down to Portugal's third 15 coming to Welford Road. And we really get an idea if they have got any strength and depth at all. Because that second 15 was amazing. And the, the halfbacks are to die for. So Portugal are unearthing some serious players. 
Yeah. But I mean, what a travel. That, that nine, a... you were singing the praises. Oh, the nine is they've got the best pass I've seen in many years. But what a tra- what's his name? Do you know? It's uh, Hugo Camacho. Okay. Oh, Has he got a better pass than Dowie Morris? <laughs> but, but hey, what a tra- what a travesty that they're that they're going to Welford Road to play against England A with a, th- a you know effectively a third team. I mean, it's they got Appleton and a couple of first teamers, but there's a lot of guys there that even uh, Francisco from a month ago wasn't really sure exactly who they were. Yeah, well, I mean, nothing joins up for for teams at their level. Nothing is joined up, is it? No. That, that, that three that. weeks on the matches in a row, they've been to Bucharest, back they've been to Lisbon, they've been to where did they start? Um, Belgium. 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 Now they've got to come back to Welford Road. Then the big two matches of their season then come, you know, the semi final and the final of REC. That's why all they're saving all those the top players for those matches and then try not to annoy the Pro Deux teams yeah. and keep on dragging them in. Okay. They'll be available for the semi final and the final. So this match, you know so-called prestige match, they're really having to dig deep. And people, you know, if they lose 60, 70 points, people are going to be all, uh, well, you know, Portugal. It's their third team. Yeah. With Thomas Hamilton. Ha- having, having spent no time together at all. Exactly. So it's... And and, and without a full-time coach. But it's a it's a problem, isn't it, if you're trying to sell tickets for... Um, oh, you know, I can see why they didn't promote the fact that it was going to be a third team. But no. Although Portugal have always been up front. They said, look, we will come with who we've got. But, you know, we have got two, we're right in the middle of our busy part of the season mm. and we've got our two biggest matches straight after this match. I, I mean, I, th- I think this is, I mean, I'm not often complimentary about World Rugby. In fact, I'm never complimentary about World Rugby, but this is difficult for them. But it's simply smacks of Portugal playing the house down at the World Cup just at the point when they and Georgia are being shut off yeah. from Tier 1 Rugby. Everyone recognising that fact, whinging and moaning about it, and they chuck them a bone. And the bone is an England A fixture. Look, we're trying to give these people fixtures. But the fact that they can't pick any players for the fixtures they've given them is ridiculous. Yeah, they're playing South Africa in South Africa in, I think, end of June. Okay, that is a prestige fixture. But that that is it, really. I mean, that's a very difficult one for them to, as a one-off fixture, to prepare for, you know. Um, But, I mean, just, I, I don't know if any of you guys... Bet you probably saw a bit of it, Chris. But if you just go back to the Rugby Europe site and yeah. watch that match on some of the tries are just off the Richter scale, and the ambition and that Appleton is some player. Yeah, he sets the tone. I mean, he doesn't get all the plaudits, but he's always on it. He's always attacking in his own, in, you know, behind the behind the sticks in his own twenty-two. It's on always, and if, if it's on for him, then the whole team sort of get behind him. Did they, but, did they play the star outside after the World Cup or did they not? Because I, I know... It, no, they, they, they got another brilliant young 10, another French base player, Hugo, two Hugos at halfback, Hugo Aubrey, who was the bright young thing at La Rochelle for a couple of years. Okay. He's now yeah. playing for Rouen, but he looks good. He looks good as well. God, they got some players. Nice. It's well, great. And, and, and good on them. I mean, it's just, it, it, this is a structural thing and it will be, it will be wildly frustrating for everyone who cares about Rugby growth, yeah. That they're developing these people, uh, but the structures around them are just uh, both, both from from the governance aspect and from the coaching aspect and what have you. It's very, it's very difficult. It's uh, a golden nugget has been presented to world rugby here. This was completely unexpected, really, yeah. five years ago. I and agree. you know, let's make. I'd like to think they're not going to bollocks this one up. 
Well, oh, Brent, I'm holding my breath that. already. <laughs> <laughs> having sung, sung Thomas Appleton's praises, he's coming on the podcast next week. After, Brilliant. Um, oh, well, well done, Brent. You've really curried favour already. So. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it was supposed to be Manu Tuolangi, Chris, but he's heard what you've had to say about him already, so he's cancelled. Yeah, well, um, uh, well, the good... I do, I, I, I do. I do remember being part of a mass interview with Manu during uh, before the England Scotland closing pool game in the 2011 Rugby World Cup, and um, and I, I don't think Manu was at his most fluent that day. And somebody as, asked as him, you were just then. Uh, somebody asked him which um, which Scotland players he was. You know, he he was sort of sort of not fearful of, but you know. Uh, he would be alert to in the big game, which England had to win to qualify for the um, uh, for the uh, uh, for the knockout stage. And Manu Umdenard, but he couldn't think of anyone because he actually didn't know the name of any of the Scotland players. So I helpfully asked him whether he, whether Andy Irving worried him, and he said yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't ex- I don't expect that to be. On the podcast, well, it, it will. Manu won't. Um, you, you, bet, you bet your house on that. <laughs> but anyway, obviously, yeah, we'll keep a keen eye on that England. The England A squad is actually quite exciting. Um, from oh, he's a very decent England A team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, it's the England Zach, Zach, Zach Mercer can't even get into that. Except no, for that, God, yeah. <laughs> uh, so best believe there'll be some rugby played that day. Probably more than England will play at Murrayfields. But anyway, we've got. A comprehensive and fairly wholesale, well, unanimous set of predictions. Um, and yeah, round three to look forward to this weekend with the biggest question mark around that Calcutta Cup game. So next week we'll reflect on that. And yeah, Thomas. Hang Appleton. on, how many, how many, are we unanimous on, on the Scotland-England result? Every, every single prediction we're unanimous. Everybody's got Scotland to win. Everyone's got Scotland to win. Everyone's got... Including Ireland. you, Nick. Yeah, including <laughs> me. Nick, in, the, in the spirit of unanimity. <laughs> so that's England by 15 then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Enjoy the rugby and I'll see you next week. What well up? Cheers, boys. Cheers, boys. What well up? Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Rugby Paper Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you use and recommend the show to your friends. The Rugby Paper is available to buy every Sunday, and to make sure you don't miss it, subscribe to our print, digital, and online options at therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions. That's therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions to get all our content for as little as 14p per day. <laughs>